Good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. Since the beginning of time, us as humans have had a longing for companionship, acceptance from others, a place to belong. This is one of the reasons why God created Eve. He said that it is not good that man should be alone. When infants and children are left alone, when there's no one that cares about them and that expresses love to them, it can have a negative impact on their life. While there may be people that choose to live an isolated life, there is still a void in their life that is empty because of no interaction with other people. I believe the age that we live in with the technology that we hold in our hand, namely the smartphone, it has fought against companionship, brotherhood in the church, that feeling of being connected to other people if we use our phones in the wrong way. Today, we can watch videos and movies all by ourselves. Whatever movie we want to watch, whereas a decade ago, it was done with a group of people where everyone sat in front of a screen and watched it together. Today, we can listen to music with our earbuds all by ourselves, with whatever music that we want to listen to. Whereas a decade ago, you put the CD into a stereo and whoever was within the range of the um, music listened with it, with you. And we're a part of that experience of listening to the music with you. Today, you can read you can look at whatever you want to with your phone, but there was a time in our life or in the age that people could see the book or magazine that you were holding in your hand. My assigned topic um, is brotherhood in the church. We will be looking at what does it mean to relate to one another? What is my part in the church? And what are some of the privileges and responsibilities in being part of the church? First off, let's look at what is the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16 that he will build his church. And it was based upon the confession that Peter made about who Jesus is. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Those who confess that are a part of that church. This is the greater church, the universal church, or all those that confess that Jesus is the Messiah. And this universal church is all those who will be gathered together around the throne, which talks about in Revelation 4 and 5, worshiping God and the Lamb that are on the throne. There are some things in our life that is a picture of the group, of the greater church. It starts in our homes, our families, our families, our home is a picture of that greater church. While there are some families that have their last name as Peachy, there is set aside one family that belongs to me and my wife and my children. And the same is true for other Peachy, Peachy's household as well. My children know whose family they are a part of because of who their parents are and also because of who their siblings are. 
our homes reflect the universal church. Another picture of this greater church, a universal church, is our local church, the church here at Peckway. This church here should be a reflection of this greater church. And I will be speaking mainly about this church here at Peckway, although I don't know very many of you here. I don't know what the church is about here, um, but I'll be talking about the local church, where we find brotherhood. If that brotherhood is not found here in this church, we need a revival in the church. I remember a testimony that someone gave after, or when he was being received as a member of a church that he said that he now has a place to belong. There's a group of people that he belongs to, and I think that's an excellent response when we are joining the church. The greater church, the invisible church, the universal church is made up of people that come from different nationalities, different cultures, different backgrounds. There is a wide range of ages in this church. I think that should be the same in our local church, Peckway. It should be made up of people from all age groups, made up of people that think differently than you do, respond to situation differently than you do. In other words, a church needs to have all kinds of personalities, all kinds of different giftings, united together by the Holy Spirit. Church is not made up of people who are your best friends. I think it's such a blessing, and it is a beautiful picture when there's a wide variety of ages in a church, like I see this morning here. I want to look a little bit at the importance of church membership. There are many people that believe that church membership is not important. And the reason that I talked about um, our cell phones in the beginning is because it is totally the opposite of being a part of the church. There are many people that never go to church, but they watch church on their phones. They are watching whom they want to watch. They listen to sermons whom they want to listen to. And going to church for them is all about themselves. To be a part of a church, we need to give of ourselves for the church. Give of ourselves for each other. And we can't do this from our couch at home. Looking at the importance of being a part of a church, how well could you play football or volleyball all by yourself? When there's a team, each position doing what they were meant to do, and the game is played the way that it's supposed to, the game is much more enjoyable to play. Or another question that we could ask, how well does it sound when we would all sing alto or bass by itself? The singing sounds way better when each, per when each part, soprano, alto, tenor, or bass, is blended together, contributing their different notes. It produces beautiful harmony. Or another picture that we could um, see is when you're grilling in the backyard, how well could you grill your steak or hamburger 
with only one charcoal. You will not get the heat that you need to get your steak or hamburger cooked. When there are many coals together, it produces enough heat, and that heat lasts a very long time so that you can cook your food. While the Bible doesn't say that you should be a member of the church, it does imply that those who are born again, those who have been baptized and have the Holy Spirit within them, are a part of a local church. And may I remind you, the local church is a picture of what the greater church, the universal church, is like. In the greater church, not everyone is a part of it. You don't just join this church. There are requirements that need to be met, and that is believing in Jesus as the Messiah. And the same should be true of Pequay Church. Not just anyone joins this church. They need to confess that Jesus is the Messiah. They need to be born again. And when they meet these requirements, they can be a part of the church. When Paul wrote his letters, he wrote them to particular churches. For example, 1 and 2 Corinthians were written to the church at Corinth. Galatians was written to all the churches in Galatia. Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus. And John wrote letters to seven different churches in Revelation. These were specific churches with certain people in those churches. Also, Hebrews 13:17 would indicate a particular group of people belonging to a certain church. Hebrews 13:17 says, "Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account. For they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you." If you are not a part of a church, who is responsible for your soul? Who are you to obey and submit yourself to? The same is true for the pastors. They need to know who they are to give an account for. Who are they, who are they responsible for? The pastors would be overwhelmed if they were responsible for every Christian in the world. The Bible gives different imagery of what the church is like. And I'm not speaking about the greater church, but the local church, like Pequay Church. The church are branches receiving our growth from the vine or the stalk, which is Jesus. The church is a family. You're brothers and sisters adopted into God's family, with God being our father and Jesus as our brother, the firstborn. The church is like a flock with Jesus being the shepherd, the one who cares for us, who provides for us with food and water, the one who protects us. The pastors in the church are also considered as the shepherds, those who care for the church, those who provide truth from scripture, for the growth of the church, and those who protect the church from the lies and false teaching that goes on in the world that would hurt and wound the church. The church is like a building 
with Jesus as a cornerstone, giving us a strong foundation where nothing can cause the building to collapse. And the last picture that we see about the church is the church is like a human body with many different parts and cells with Christ being the head of the body. And I think this is the illustration that I will be using today because it fits, I think, the best with the topic assigned to me. We can see with some of these illustrations and the things that we are talked about that church membership is something that is very important. You are a part of a group in order for it to function so that you can have eternal life. If you have your Bibles open um, to 1 Corinthians 12, I'll be looking um, in this chapter a little bit about the human body. It is in this chapter that we can see how the church is supposed to function and relate to one another. Verses 12 and 13, we see the idea of being one. When we look at a person, we know them by their name. We can identify who that person is. If I say Joseph Peachy, you would immediately think of the one who is preaching. If I say someone else's name like Matt Stolzfus, you would think of Matt. And the same is true for anyone else in this church. But what if I would take my heart out and compare it with someone else's heart? Would you be able to tell whose heart it is? Or even if you compare my arm and hand with someone else's arm and hand, that would be a challenge to figure out who that arm or hand belongs to. An average human body has approximately 30 trillion cells. All these cells work together in harmony so that the body can survive. All these cells, when they are formed together, it creates you or I. When a certain number of those, of those cells are missing, it can be difficult to identify who the person is. The same is true for the church. We need to lose our identity when we're a part of the church. When the world looks at Peckway Church, who do they see? Do they see each individual person that attend here? Or do they see someone that feels like they, are, they need to be in control of this church, or one who is superior than others? Or do they see Christ? I'm going to read verse 12. For as a body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, so, uh, so, sorry, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. There are many members here in this church, but when we are all working in harmony, doing the gifts that God has given us, the world will see Christ. This is something that is very important, that they see Christ instead of each individual member. And this is exactly what Jesus prayed for in John 17. And I'm going to quick read some verses there in John 17, 20 to 23. Neither pray I for these alone, 
but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, and thou hast loved me. Jesus' prayer for the church is that we may all be one, that we may all live in harmony with one another, so that the world may believe that God sent Jesus. I believe this unity, this oneness that we have with each other and with Christ is our greatest evangelism tool that we can have. If we don't have that unity and oneness, it destroys our witness. And I think it's important as we go into missions that we go with the church supporting us. Otherwise, you're doing it alone. And it doesn't show the world who Jesus is. All they see is just you. In Matthew 5, 14, it gives us another, another picture of unity. And it says that a city set on a hill cannot be hid. How many lights does it take for a city? It takes many lights for a city. So it is with the church. When we, when we allow the light of Jesus Christ to shine in our hearts, and we are one with those in the church, our little light becomes a bright light from the city that will not be hid. Did you get the message? In order for people to see Jesus, we need to be one in the church. So what makes the church one? Another question we could ask, was Jesus' prayer answered when he prayed in John 17 that we may all be one? Yes, it was answered. We can see the answer in verse 13. What makes us one as a church is the Holy Spirit living within us. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. And this happens when we are born again, when we become Christians. Because we are one vertically with God and his Son through the Holy Spirit, we are automatically one with those in the church horizontally. We are unified together because of the Holy Spirit. And I think it is neat and good how when we declare to the church that we have committed ourselves to follow Jesus and are baptized, we are then considered a member of the church body. We are one with all the church members in that church. So what does it mean when it says we are all one? What does that look like? The end of verse 13 shows us what that looks like whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. 
To be one in Christ has the idea that there is no one better than the other. We are all sinners saved by grace. The Jews were not better than the Gentiles. They were both equal at the foot of the cross. The same idea applies to the slaves and those that were free who were in the church. They were equal at the foot of the cross. There was no one better than the other. Romans 12.3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. Don't think more highly than others, but to think soberly. It is God who blesses us, and it's not because we earn it. In the beginning of chapter 12 here, it talks about the different gifts that God's given to each believer. And because of the gifts that we received, we are not better than another. We are one. We are complete with what God has given to each person. At the cross, we are all equal. We are all sinners saved by grace. When we are one, we believe in one God, one Savior of the world, which is Jesus, and one faith. What we believe is truth from the scriptures. So what is the symbol that we are one together as a church and with Christ? 1 Corinthians 10, 16-17, a page over. It says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. The word communion is the word koinonia, which means fellowship, association, community, joint participation, and sharing with one another. When we partake at the Lord's table, we profess ourselves as his guests and covenant people. When we participate at the Lord's Supper, it represents a unified body that is dependent on the death of Christ. The phrase, for we being many, are one bread and one body, refers to individual members who make up one corporate body, the church. So are there things that disrupt this oneness that we have with each other in Christ? And we don't see this necessarily here in 1 Corinthians 12, but yes, there is things that disrupt that oneness that we have with one another, and that is sin. Sin breaks the unity that we have with another. Sin has an effect on not just the person committing the sin, but on the whole body, on the whole church. I had mentioned in the beginning that as us as humans long for companionship and being connected with other people. But when sin, but when we sin, the exact opposite happens. We want to hide in the darkness so that no one knows our failures. Remember what happened to the children of Israel in Joshua 7? Um, the story of Achan when he took the Babylonian garment, the 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold. 
um, after they conquered Jericho. A short time later, the children of Israel went up to fight against um, Ai. And this was supposed to be an easy victory for them because of the size of the city, but they were defeated. I want to look at the reaction of God um, as he was talking to um, Joshua about the children of Israel. And we see that in Joshua 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was was kindled against the children of Israel. One man's sin brought disgrace to the entire group of people. God was angry at the whole group. It was not just Achan. When when God was speaking to Joshua in verses 10 to 15, not once does God refer to one man's sin, but it was that Israel had sinned. That's something serious to think about. And when Joshua was serious about taking care of the sin within them, he didn't wait for a couple of days. And in saying this next point, I'm trying to bring out the urgency of the matter. He didn't ask for a prayer meeting first or ask for wisdom from others. He rose early the next morning to take care of the sin so it doesn't affect the group anymore. When we as an individual see that there is sin in the church, we are responsible to help that brother see that sin in his own life. We need to think seriously of the sin that affects the whole church. Um, the steps that we see um, to reveal sin is found in Matthew 18, 15 to 17. And I'm going to quick read those verses and just listen and yeah, learn from, from it. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. When you and I sin, it is, and it is not taken care of by confession, it will affect our church, and it will continue to affect us until it is dealt with. <clears throat> I want to look at the commitment to the body um, here in verses 15 to 20 of 1 Corinthians 12. When we think of the word commitment, it is a word that is maybe not very popular today. People are afraid to commit themselves to anything or to anyone. When we do commit ourselves to something, it exposes our weaknesses and our failures. Many times there are people who jump around from church to church, trying to find the perfect church, trying to find a church that pleases them, where they feel like they are getting what they want. They aren't committed. When we are committed to a church, we, become, we come to the church to share with others, to give of ourselves to others. 
commitment requires giving ourselves for the sake of others. And I think that is one way that we should come to church every single Sunday morning. Not necessarily come to receive for ourselves, but come to church every Sunday morning to give, to bless others here at church. I don't think it's just the pastor's job or those teaching Sunday school or the devotions. We are all involved in sharing of ourselves for one another. God has given us all different gifts so that it helps the body to be unified, so that it helps us as a church to be one. <clears throat> Just because we aren't assigned a particular role in the church that we want to do doesn't mean that we should jump to the next church. If all of us is the eye of the body, like it says in verse 17, then what about the rest of the body? And the question could be asked, if we're all the eye of the body, are we even a body? If we're all doing the same things in the church. A body in the church, just like the human body, requires many different people to do many different functions within the church. God has made each one of us different, our personalities, the way that we think, for the sake of the church. I like the verse in Acts 2.42, and this is speaking about the 3,000 souls that were added to the church the first day that the church began. And it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking up bread and in prayers. This verse speaks of commitment and dedication to the church. They continued steadfastly. Do we have that kind of commitment to this church? These people came to church giving of themselves to the church. They gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They were doing the symbol of their unity, communion. They gave of themselves to pray. And just to remind us, this church here at Peckway is a church, is a picture of the universal church who will one day live in eternity in heaven. If we are all Christians, we will all be living together forever in heaven. How exciting is that? I think that is something that is very exciting. But do we have that same excitement when we come to church every Sunday and we meet the same group of people that have been a part of this church for one year, or even five years, or 10 years. Do we have that same kind of excitement, being together with one group of people? It can be very easy for us as people when we go to, let's say, the minister's meetings, or to CBS, or some other kind of big spiritual event, where we don't know the people very well, and we are all excited about being there, but then we have a critical spirit of the home church. We don't get excited about gathering with the people that are there. Is that the right attitude to have? <clears throat> and the question could be asked, who is the one designing this church here at Peckway? Who is the one placing the members within the church, giving them the gifts that they have? Is it you? Are you the one doing that? 
or is it God? I think we need to answer that question. There is a saying that I'm sure some of you have heard, and it goes like this. To dwell in love with saints above, well, that will be glory. But to dwell with saints I know below, why, that's a different story. I think um, as we're gathered together, it pleases the Lord. Are we striving to please God within the church? And give of yourself to the church. Do in the church what God has designed you to do, to, bring, to help bring unity in the church. When we do what we are called to do, it pleases him. Are we committed to the church, doing in the church what God has called us to do? Verses 21 to 23 is accepting others in the church, or accepting all that are in the body. As a, ch as a church, there needs to be humility toward one another. There is no one that is more important than another. We need to love. We need to have love toward one another, not just a surface love for each other. We need to have a deep love for one another within this church, the type of love that would die for our brother. Do you have that type of love for the brother that is sitting beside you? When we have that kind of love, we can then accept those who are in this church, no matter what their personality is like or what their gift is in the church. When we love like that, we will feel that all the members with whatever gift they have or they, they serve the church with is very, very important. There may be some feeble and less honorable parts in here in the church as there is in the body. What are the feeble parts of the body in the human body? It is the hearts, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys, and the stomach. They're the feeble parts of the body. If these parts are damaged in any way, it affects the body. These parts are also hidden inside our bodies. They aren't noticeable, but they are very important. What is something that is special about these body parts? These organs are protected by other parts of the body. There is the skin, the flesh, and the rib cage that surround these organs protecting them. That is the same in the church. There may be some that are feeble, that are discouraged, those that are new in the, in the faith. It is very important that we surround them, that we protect them from the outside elements of the, of the church that would harm them. <clears throat> Their presence in the church is still very important. Their gift that they contribute to the church is valuable and indispensable. What are some ways that we can do this in protecting those within our church? I think as you look at the people in this church, do you know what their needs are? Or do you know what they're rejoicing about? As a church, we need to be involved in the church and in other people's lives. 
We need to weep with them. We need to help them carry their load. We need to rejoice with them. Throughout the Bible, there are different things that we are commanded to do. Something for one another. And I think this is, applies to this church here at Peckway. Now I want to just mention some of those and just give a brief talk about it. We are to love one another. And that love that I described earlier, an agape love, an non-sacrificial love. We are to comfort one another with the words from Scripture. We are to exhort one another, and not just one time a week, but daily. We are to do it every day. We are to greet one another with a holy kiss. And the idea there is, do you have warm acceptance to all those in the church? Or do you hold people out at arm's length? We need to consider one another to provoke unto love and, good, and to good works. We need to encourage. We need to stir other people up to love and to do good works to others. We need to edify one another. We are promoting growth. We are encouraging, encouraging growth in another person's life in the church. We need to admonish one another. We are to warn one another. When we do these things, when we accept one another with the way that they serve the church and with the gift that God has given them, there will be less of a chance for division to take place in the church or so that it will, won't be torn in two. <clears throat> There's a story that I heard from David Jeremiah that speaks about how we are to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in the church. And I will be reading this story. And it goes like this. In Brooklyn, New York, there's a school that caters to mildly learning disabled children. The father of one of these children spoke out at a fundraising banquet for the school. And after extolling the school on his dedicated staff, he cried out in the midst of his speech, where is this perfection in my son Shia? Everything God does is done in perfection. But my son can't understand things as other children do. My son cannot remember facts and figures as other children do. Where is God's perfection? The audience was shocked by this question and pained by the father's anguish. And after a period of silence, he gave the answer. He said, I believe that when God brings a child into this world, like my son, that the perfection that he seeks is in the way people react to him. Then he told this story about his son, Shia. He said, one afternoon, Shia and his dad walked past a park where some boys were playing baseball. Shia asked, do you think they'll let me play? And his father knew that his son was not at all athletic or coordinated. Most boys would not want him on their team. Still, his father understood that if his son was chosen to play, it would give him a sense of belonging. So, Shia's dad approached one of the boys on the field and asked if Shia could play. 
The boy looked around for guidance from one of the, his teammates. Getting none, he took matters into his own hands, and he said, we're losing by six runs, and the, the game is in the eighth inning. If he wants to be on our team, we'll try to put him up to bat in the ninth. Shia was told to put on a glove and go out and play short center field. In the bottom of the eighth, Shia's team scored a few runs, while they were still behind by three. In the bottom of the ninth, Shia's team scored again, and now there were two outs and the bases loaded and the potential winning run on base. And Shia is up to bat. Would the team actually let Shia bat at this juncture and give away their chance to win the game? Surprisingly, Shia was given the bat, and everybody knew that it was impossible because he couldn't even hold the bat right, let alone swing it. However, as Shia stepped up to the plate, the pitcher moved a few steps closer to lob the ball in softly so Shia could at least make contact. The first pitch came in, and Shia swung clumsily, and he missed. One of Shia's teammates came up to Shia, and together they held the bat and they faced the pitcher, together waiting for the next pitch. The pitcher took a few steps closer and tossed the ball, the ball even more softly to Shia. As the pitch came in, Shia and his teammate swung the bat, and together they hit a slow ground ball to the pitcher. The pitcher picks the soft grounder up and could easily have thrown the ball to first base. Shia would have been out, and that would have ended the game. But instead, he took the ball and he threw it on a high arc to right field, far beyond the reach of the first baseman. Everyone started yelling, Shia, run the first. Well, he never ran the first in his life. He scampered down the baseline, wide-eyed and startled. And by the time he reached first base, the right fielder had the ball. He could have thrown the ball to second baseman. He would tag out Shia, who was still running. But instead, he threw the ball high and far over the third baseman's head. And everybody yelled, run to second, Shia, run to second. Shia ran towards second base as the runners ahead furiously circled the bases toward home. As Shia reached second base, the opposing shortstop ran to him and turned him in the, in the direction of third base and shouted, run to third. As Shia rounded third, the boys from both teams ran behind him screaming, Shia, run to home, run to home. Shia ran home, stepped on home plate, and all 18 boys lifted him up on their shoulders, making him the hero because he had just hit a grand slam and he won the game for the team. That, that day, said his father, tears now running down his face. That day, for one moment, those 18 boys reached their level of God's perfection. This story is a beautiful picture of how we ought to relate to one another here in the church. Are we helping each other to succeed, to succeed way above ourselves? Are we doing our part in causing the church to grow, to be one 
with one another and one with God? Or have we allowed sin to enter into the church? Or do we criticize each other, tearing our church down, tearing each other down? Are we trying to make this my church? Or do we recognize that this church belongs to God? My prayer for my own life and also for this church is that we can be united by the aid of the Holy Spirit so that God would be pleased at the way that we function within the church. Let's kneel to pray.